Ay. ¿Cómo? What a beautiful kid. <laughs> uh, now I'm gonna, I don't have a rhythm now. I had a rhythm in mind, and um, love is a better rhythm than my rhythm every day. So praise be to God. Um, I wanted to say this, Psalm 122, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Man, because I've been saved, y'all. And uh, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord today. And, and I'm so thankful to be back with you guys. It's been a while. Feels like it's been a long time, five or six weeks, I think. And I promise <laughs> it's not out of laziness, but I've been kind of on the road doing a little bit of preaching. And um, it's been a great joy. Um, and uh, we're glad to be, be back. And um, my wife and I, we really... We have come to love Chile, Bible, and the family here. So just thank you so much for embracing us. And I'm really happy to be standing there for uh, Pastor Joe. So we're going to take a little short break from Nehemiah this morning and look at the book of Colossians, okay? And uh, as I was preparing yesterday, um, you know, I couldn't help reflect, uh, help but reflect on the Apostle Paul's life and work for for Jesus. And, and when you read any of Paul's letters, there's a real emphasis on his amazement that the Lord actually called him in to ministry. Right? He never lost that sense of wonder, um, that joy for serving Jesus. And, and he was captivated by the work of Christ in him first. And then God used that to build a desire to proclaim the gospel even in the most difficult situations. And the outcome of Paul's ministry, it's important that we understand this, that the outcome of Paul's ministry was not the important thing for Paul because he knew that the response to the gospel was all God. It was completely out of Paul's control. All Paul wanted to do is to show his love for the Lord by obeying the command to go and make disciples. And what's most amazing about Paul is even when his faithful obedience, even when it bore much fruit in the kingdom of God, he never forgot who he was. He could have focused on what he did for the Lord, but instead he always remembered what Jesus did for him. His mission was fueled by his memory. And he was willing to sacrifice everything because the gospel gave him new life and a love for all people. His work wasn't easy, and I am certain that he lost a lot of relationships along the way. And the truth is, following Jesus is a great joy that words could never express. But the reality, the reality is sometimes he leads us to uncomfortable experiences where we have to make difficult decisions. Actually, this reminds me of a conversation that I had with a really good friend of mine down in Peoria. He was telling me how he was having a difficult time sharing Jesus with his brother. Now, he's tried to do this in the past a number of times, but every time it's caused a great conflict between him and his brother, and even 
his brother's children. So much so that for really long stretches of time, they wouldn't talk anymore. And uh, praise the Lord that their relationship is kind of back to normal. Now it's normalized. But sadly, it appears that talking about Jesus is completely off the table. And the reason is, my friend doesn't want to lose a very important relationship, right? He's frustrated because now their relationship has taken a different turn. Now he learned that his brother is sick. They're not sure what it is, but it's not good. Now you might think at that point, deciding what to do seems like an easy decision, right? However, because he loves his brother, he doesn't want to be separated from him in what is possibly the last few months of his life. But on the other hand, he knows that a relationship with Jesus could change everything about his brother's life. So he's struggling with what to do. Like I said, it's not always easy, and I think that's a pretty difficult situation. Right? You have on one hand, you have this idea of a comforting presence, right? His brother in this life, or rescued and redeemed with eternal life. I know it seems pretty simple, but I'm just not sure that it is. So it made me wondering, while I was preparing this, while I was kind of working this message through in my mind, I started wondering, what do you think he should do? I want you to think on that. And while you are, let's turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1. Okay? We're going to look at just a few verses today. Um, chapter, 21 through 20, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Uh, it's not uh, the 45 verses of Nehemiah, so we won't be here too long. Wink, wink. Um, but uh, if you are, if you're able, would you uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful to be here this morning to worship the only one worthy, our Savior, Jesus. And Father, as we open your word, Lord God, Lord God, now we need to hear from you this morning. Father, we need it. It keeps us safe. It protects us. It points us back to you, Father. So please help us today. Father, please fall. Fall on us freshly. Open our eyes. Soften our hearts to your truth. And I ask for you to be faithful, Lord. Faithful one more time. Come now, Spirit of the living God, and teach us. Teach us this morning, I pray, in the powerful name above all names. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. There, there are three simple truths I believe this text is exhorting me and you to remember this morning. First, you need to remember 
you were far off. Second, you need to remember Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. And third, you need to remember to keep walking with him, proclaiming the gospel. And let's see how that kind of works itself out in these verses this morning. We'll jump right in, starting in verse 21. The Bible says, And you, who were, alien, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Man, there are many things I love about the Apostle Paul, but his directness might be the one thing I like most. You know, I'm a Baptist. I was trained at a Baptist school, and I have Baptist theology. And uh, that means I like it when people are very direct. And this is one of the qualities um, about Paul that I love um, uh, that I love that when I find it in the Bible, right? And, and Paul is very direct right here in the beginning, and he says, and you, and you. This is a really important phrase, right? It's to kind of make you sit up and listen, right? Kind of, kind of scooch up to the front of your chair and lean into what Paul is saying. Um, it's Paul's way of addressing everyone, and at the same time, also us as individuals. So, right, we're all in it together, um, but it applies to everyone individually. So why is it so important for Paul to get your attention? Well, it's because he wants you to remember. He wants you to remember you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Truthfully, you know, right, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about my life before Christ. I really don't. And actually, I don't even think most Christians do that very often. Right? We don't spend a lot of time reflecting on the past. I mean, Paul himself says in Philippians 3 that he no longer considers the past. And there's much to consider about Paul's past. However, he puts all that behind him and stays focused on his new life in Christ. Now, reflecting on what Jesus has done and his testimony in your life, it's really important and it's a great help when you are asked to share that testimony and be a witness for him to others. Now, I don't want you to dwell on the past. That's not good. But you need to remember. You need to remember you were once alienated and hostile in mind. So what does it really mean to be alienated and hostile in mind? Well, that word alienated <clears throat> can also be translated as separated or even estranged. So I think what Paul is wanting us to remember that our relationship with God was broken, right? We were separated from God. Now, we don't need to just know that in our understanding, right? It's not just understanding that truth that's important, but it's also there's a distance between us and God, right? But there was a distance between us and God. Uh, and the distance is so far that it's immeasurable, right? There's, there's no calculation. Our sin is called cause great separation between us and God. And, and the best way for me to try and illustrate this to you is um, at family dinner time in the O'Neill house. Um, and I got to say that, listen, real quick, it's, it is a blessing. It is a blessing that we get to experience dinner every night around the table, every night. But as you can imagine, with a family of children, it's not always super easy um, dinner time. Uh, for instance, <laughs> there is an occasion where our youngest uh, has no desire to eat what it is that we've put in front of him, 
And when we make him to do, when we make him do that, he grabs his food, right? He grabs his food and he slides down the bench to the other end of the bench, as far away from us as he could be. Right? What Sam is actually doing is alienating himself from us, right? He has separated himself from us. It's the same thing that parents do, right? When they disagree with one another. Mom goes upstairs and dad goes out to the garage, separating themselves from one another. Now, praise the Lord, most, most parents and children find their way back to one another because they, they love one another. But Paul wants you to remember, you were once separated from God because, because you didn't love God. You were hostile in mind, is what the text says. I love the way the King James says it. It uses the word, you were enemies, there in verse 21. I mean, that's what hostile in mind actually means, right? When, when kids and parents disagree, in some sense, they become enemies because they stand in opposition to one another. We are, we are alienated from God because we once were his enemies. So way before, way before our actions could reveal our opposition to one another, church, we need to remember that we were in conflict with God because of our position with God. Right? When my friend tried to share Jesus with his brother, that caused a separation or an alienation between them. They were estranged and separated from one another. Right? That relationship was broken because they stood in opposition of one another. And I want you to remember, and I think Paul is trying to get you and me to remember that every one of us, every one of us at one point was far off from God because of our opposition to God. Now, as you read verse 21, you might think it's sin that committed that separation between us and God. But it's not just the sin that separates us from God, although it certainly does, but it's because we're sinners. That's why we're far off from God. We need to remember that before we were friends with Jesus, church, we were his enemies. And enemies of God, as broken humans, we stand in opposition of God at the very core of who we are. Before you could ever sin, you were sinners at heart. And that sin, that sin that causes my son to separate himself at the dinner table starts long before, starts long before the action of him sliding down the bench, right? Romans chapter 5 gives us a little insight on this. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. There's this wonderful double meaning here in Romans chapter 5. And, and Paul is essentially saying, you're a sinner alienated from God because the first sinner handed down his desire to sin to you. Right? Adam exposed the reality that every man, woman, and child is opposed to God before the opportunity to display that opposition to God ever takes place. It actually reminds me of this really interesting TV show. Uh, I think you can probably see it on uh, Netflix, perhaps. I'm not sure. Um, but it's a TV show called The Hatfields and McCoys. Essentially, it's two families that were friends that became enemies because one man stood in opposition of the other. And, and as a result, a war between them broke out. 
And that opposition was passed down from generation to generation. What started with one man opposing the other ended with every man, woman, and child opposing each other. Their life was consumed by their opposition to one another. And not one of them, not one of them could fix the relationship between their families. Nor, nor did any of them ever desire to do it. They hated one another. They were alienated. They were hostile in mind. They were enemies because they couldn't be anything else. Now eventually, eventually being an enemy is going to manifest itself into action, right? It's going to look like something. Now, it doesn't always look like the Hatfields and McCoys, right? Not everybody's trying to kill their enemies. Right? Everyone doesn't express, express their opposition to God like Hitler did, right? And when you, look, when you read that phrase, doing evil deeds in verse 21, it sounds really dramatic. And, and it is, and it is dramatic, but it's, it's not always as magnified in the same way as history represents evil. And right here in the book of Colossians, we get a little bit of light, a little bit of practicality, and we get a little bit of, we get a clearer sense of what evil actually looks like in the everyday life of those who are far off from God. It says in chapter 3 in verse 5, Paul is exhorting them, now that they are in Christ, to put on the new self, as it were. To put to death, it says, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them when you were consumed by them. But now, but now you must put them all away, all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. To summarize very simply, Paul is saying, sex outside of marriage, watching pornography, this is an offense to God. Anger, Lying, loving other people's stuff. Even joking, even joking, y'all, can be an offense that shows your opposition to God. And I think one of the worst things is talking about someone behind their back. God sees that as evil in his eyes. We don't have to commit heinous crimes behind, we don't have to commit heinous crimes to show how far off we are from God, Right? If you just spend, if you just spend a little bit of time reflecting on once you, what you once were, just spend a few moments knowing what you are, and it is so much sweeter. My friend, my friend knows his brother is far off, but I think my friend has forgotten that he was far off as well. If you're ever going to have the compassion for the lost, Jesus wants you to have. Jesus died for you to have. Jesus filled you to have. If you're ever going to be willing to risk it all, you have to remember you were far off. And then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. Verse 22 it says, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Where verse 21 teaches us to remember we were once far off from God, verse 22 teaches us how we have been brought near because of what Jesus did. And I love this word reconciled. It is one of the best ways to describe what Jesus has actually done for you. Right? Reconciled really means repositioning. Right? When my son slides to the end of the table in opposition to me, I just reach out and grab him and pull him back closer to me. I repositioned him. Although you were far off from God, Jesus saved you by pulling you close to him. He repositioned you. You didn't do that. Only Jesus can do that. He drew near to you before you could ever draw near to him. Being reconciled means where you were once an enemy of God, but now Jesus has made you a friend. I love how Ephesians really, really brings a lot of clarity um, about this kind of reconciliation, right? And when we see it, when we read it, it, we know quickly that it's a complete gift of God, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now listen, if you study all those original words in that passage, and you look at all the grammar and how it's all put together, what you learn is that your salvation, even your faith, all of it, is a gift from God. The only thing that you have done relating to your salvation is 100% of the sinning, and Jesus has done 100% of the saving. But, but it's not magic, right? God, didn't, God did something to make that possible. You didn't just think yourself saved. Knowing something is not enough. It wasn't thinking better thoughts or doing good works that got you saved, and it's certainly not coming to church or even sharing the gospel. So it does beg the question, how are we reconciled? And what does Paul mean when he says, in his body of flesh by his death. Man, there's a lot that could be unpacked from those few little words, but I think I can sum it up all by, quickly, by simply saying it's the gospel. The only thing that could be done, the only way for anyone to be reconciled to God is by believing the gospel. The message is simple. The Father sent the Son who lived in the flesh completely sinless, although tempted in every way like we are. And this man, Jesus, the Son of God, in his body of flesh, was the only sacrifice for sinners that would please God. His blood for yours, his death, is what the text says, in place of ours. And Paul is wanting you to remember, you were made right with God, you were reconciled because Jesus saved you. His life, His death, His resurrection for yours. Jesus. He is the all-supreme and glorious Savior. So i got a simple question for you today. Are you reconciled to God? It really is as easy as ABC. Have you A, accepted you are a sinner far off from God and in need of a Savior? B, do you believe that Jesus 
is the only Savior, and God raised him from the day from the dead. And see, have you confessed him as Lord? Friends, today is the day for you to repent from a sinner's life and turn to Jesus for salvation and reconciliation and no longer be separated from God. This does not just apply to the lost church. The Bible says that we sin, right? All of us. And if you don't believe that you sin, the truth is not in you, is what it says in the book of 1 John. So Christians, those who are walking with Jesus, is there sin in your life that is separating you from God? Separating you from the fellowship you have with your beloved brothers and sisters? Hey, you can call on the name of Jesus and He is faithful to forgive you. It's not just for the lost, but for the saved as well. Today, if you confess, if you repent, you can be brought near to God, repositioned. He came to you because you would never, you would never go to Him. He's done all the work so you don't have to. And it gets even better than that. It's better than just being saved. If you want to know, if you want to know how much God really loves you, just remember, you were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. I love the second half of verse 22. It says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You need to remember that Jesus is the free gift that we receive from the Father. Excuse me. And we become the gift Jesus paid it all to give back to the Father. Right When the bride, those who believe in Jesus, stand before God, the Father will see our sin no more. All he will see is the righteous blood of Christ and our union with him covering our shame, causing him to embrace us as his own. And this is not a new idea. Right? Providing a sacrifice for sin, it's all over the Old Testament and finds its roots in the Old Covenant. Right? If you recall... Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to provide the sacrifice for sin for the people for the entire year, right? He goes in, pulls back the curtain, and stands before the Ark of the Covenant. And on, on top of the Ark is the mercy seat and the cherubim facing one another with their head bowed down and their wings spread over the mercy seat. Now the priest kneels in front of the Ark to confess the sin of the people. And as the high priest starts to expose the sin, the cherubim are looking down as kind of a witness to the sin. And at the same time, their wings are almost hiding it from heaven. And then the high priest takes the blood of the sacrifice and pours it over the mercy seat, covering the ark and the sins of man. So when God descends on the temple, what he sees is not the sin of man, but the blood of the sacrifice covering the sins of the people, reconciling them to God. That's exactly what God will see when we who are in Christ stand before Him. He will no longer see our sin because those who have believed on Jesus 
are covered by the blood he shed on Calvary. Amen? But it's even better than that. The guilt of our sin is not just covered, church. It's been carried away. It's been carried away, expiated by Jesus, and his righteousness becomes ours. So when we're presented to God, he sees us just like he sees his son. All of our sin is carried away. In Christ, you are clean before God. And the old covenant is once a year. In the new covenant, it's every day for the rest of your life for eternity. Past, present, and future. Church, it is just remarkable that a holy God would give such an undeserving gift and show such amazing grace and mercy to those who oppose him, to his enemies. And we need to remember, please remember, you were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep, so keep walking with him. Proclaiming the gospel. Verse 23 says this, If indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I know at first glance, this verse seems to suggest that you have to do something to keep your salvation. But I believe Paul is saying, because of what you know about who you were and what Christ has done for you, I am completely confident that you will finish the race. I know with certainty, Paul says, indeed, in the text. Friends at Chile Bible, we need to walk with confidence that Jesus, in fact, paid it all. When Jesus takes us from death to life, when we start walking with him, we get to walk with a clean slate. So we need to continue in the confidence that Jesus has done the work we could never do, so we shouldn't go back to thinking we got to do something. If your belief in Jesus is true, if your conversion to Christ is genuine, you will no longer be built on the weakness of your works, but on the strength of the work of Jesus. If you try, if you try to build your life on your own righteousness, on the shoulders of your own good works, Matthew chapter 7 tells us, there will come a time when all that you've built, all that you trust in will come crashing down. But if you build your life on Jesus, and trust what he has done, your future is secure, immovable, unbreakable, everlasting. So keep walking with him. Trusting in his truth and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. All you have to do Right? All you have to do is look around and see the evidence of God and his good work everywhere. This is what he's telling the Colossians. No matter what the world tells you, he's the truth that never changes. 
not only can we see it in creation, but in the salvation and sanctification in the change of those who believe all around us. I think Paul is simply telling the Colossians, you're not, first, you're not the first to see and understand this truth, right? The gospel has been preached. People have been saved. There is evidence of this good news everywhere. Now, it's true. There are some really interesting ideas floating around in the world today. Sadly, sadly, they cause so many people to put their hope in some profound truth, right? Something that's professed by someone with a, with a PhD. But Paul, who is as well-schooled as anyone, knows where our focus needs to be and where our hope needs to stay. So remember, remember you were far off, then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him. Keep walking with him and proclaim the gospel. The last half of verse 23 says, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I really like these, these phrases. I don't want to turn the sermon. I don't really want to turn the sermon into a message about Paul, although I could talk about him all day. He is a extraordinary, faithful man. And I think that most of you would see that and understand that if you spent any time studying the Bible, right? I think Paul is arguably the greatest witness of Christian faithfulness the world has ever seen. Now, now Paul studied with the most highly regarded teachers in the greatest schools of his day. And I'm certain that he explored more ideas and understood more about the world's truth than I will ever understand. But in spite of all that learning and all of that knowledge, Paul's sole focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He's saying, I didn't try to spin tales and tell you stories to show how strong my intellect was. For I decided... For I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Listen, if anyone could compete with the intellectuals, philosophers, and scientists of the day, it was certainly the Apostle Paul, but his focus was on his calling to proclaim the gospel. Now, Paul's ministry for Jesus is, in fact, a, a very special one, and it doesn't exist anymore today. And I want to be really careful as I exhort you to dedicate your life to proclaiming the gospel as Paul did. Although you can be like Paul in his proclamation of Jesus, you can't be Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus, right? And God worked through Paul in extraordinary ways. And the time of the apostles has in fact passed. So what you need to know is when Jesus set you apart for God, just like he did Paul, he sets you apart to proclaim the gospel just as Paul did, right? As a new creation in Christ, Paul knew what he needed to do, and so do you. Listen, you may not be very good at sharing the gospel. You may not be good at sharing Jesus with people just yet, right? And that's okay. It took Paul some time to get it right as well, right? Verse 23 says, Paul became a minister. I think there's really two interesting dimensions to this last bit of verse 23. 
First, his ministry, Paul, was a special one that comes from Jesus alone, right? He became a minister. He couldn't manufacture that ministry, right? Paul was called and prepared for ministry by Jesus personally. But in another sense, it also means that Paul had to learn before God used him to minister the gospel. So like Paul, every one of us, every one of us here that um, joyfully stand in the truth of the gospel are called to do the same thing. Paul learned to be more effective at communicating that truth, and we can continue to learn to be more effective at communicating the gospel as well. But I want you to know it doesn't require a seminary degree. It doesn't take years of preparation. Once you know who you were and what Jesus did for you, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to know to go and do what he wants you to do. Jesus, listen, Jesus is the God of all creation. He is also the God of salvation. And this God, he wants you to be in the ministry of proclamation. Not just our pastors or elders. Church, you've been commanded to proclaim Jesus in all circumstances. No matter how difficult it is, no matter where he points your compass, you are called to proclaim the glory of Jesus. Trust him. Trust him like Paul did. Trust him to show up when you need him to. Trust him and live to tell others about the amazing work Jesus has done. And remember, always remember, never forget you were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him and proclaim the gospel. I do have a question for you. As a matter of fact, I asked you a question at the beginning of this sermon. If you recall, I asked you to think about my friend and what he should do, right? And as that's been kind of marinating in your heart and the mind, and in light of what you may have learned here this morning, what do you think my friend should do about his brother? Should he share Jesus and risk that relationship with his only sibling and possibly the last days of his life? Should he remember what Christ did for him and be obedient to what he was called to do? What would you do? Is the memory of what Jesus did for you fueling your mission to obediently share the gospel? Are you willing to risk it all and proclaim Jesus? He gave it all so we could tell all. So knowing what you know about yourself, Knowing what you know about your God and your calling, what will you do? While you're thinking on that this week, while that's floating around in your mind, I want you to remember that you were far off. And then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him and proclaim. Pray with me. Father, I am in awe 
I am in awe, Lord, of what you have done. Lord, I don't want to forget, Father. I want to remember your good work in me and in this church, Father. Lord God, help us to obediently share the hope that is found only in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for my friend. And I pray for Chili Bible, that when the time comes and we are prompted to proclaim Jesus, you will give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel as we should. Because living without Jesus in this life is bad enough. But dying without him is unimaginable, Lord. Use us, Lord. Bless us as we watch you perform the miracle of new life in those people around us, I pray. In Jesus' name.